Greetings again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of OSI Today, the podcast featuring news and views from around the Office of Special Investigations. I'm Wayne Amon from OSI Public Affairs, and in this edition, we continue our special series, My OSI Journey, which showcases the diversity and inclusion of our command-wide members. And today, I'm really pleased to be joined by Special Agent Major Michelle keist Noctrop, the Individual Mobilization Augmentee to the Commander, OSI Detachment 331 at Joint Base Andrews, Maryland. Michelle, welcome to the program. Great to have you on board. Well, thank you, Wayne. I appreciate I, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to tell my OSI story. <laughs> Outstanding. Now, uh, before we get into a lot of the uh, the meat and potatoes uh, questions, if you will, uh, I wanted to begin by uh, uh, letting our listeners know that uh, uh, you began your education in a career field that uh, had really nothing to do with your two major ones that you uh, are involved with now, one being OSI and the other being uh, uh, as an attorney. Uh, you began your education uh, with a Bachelor of Science degree in Meteorology at St. Louis University in uh, Missouri, according to your uh, uh, resume and your biography. So I was wondering, uh, at the time, back in uh, 05, were you planning on becoming a weather person, maybe doing the weather on TV or something like that? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, my dad is an engineer, and he always stressed to my brother and I that we should get a math or science degree. And honestly, I wanted to be like a political science major because I always thought that maybe law school was in my future. Uh Um, But I was kind of also, uh, I enjoyed the weather. I watched the Weather Channel. Um, I lived in Kansas, so we had all the great thunderstorms that came through. Right, right. Tornado Um, Alley, too, I would imagine. Exactly, yes. (laughs) And and so, um, you know, I kind of took that and I started doing some research and decided that maybe instead of engineering, Maybe meteorology was my math and science degree that I would go after. And then when I ended up at St. Louis University, I actually went, I think it was like the first week I went to a kind of like a, you know, a fair where they introduced all the different student activities and there happened to be one for Air Force ROTC. And once they found out I was, a, you know, getting my degree in meteorology, they basically handed me a piece of paper and said, would you like a scholarship? And I said, yes, yes, I would. <laughs> That's right. Outstanding. What a, what a great way to uh, start your uh, uh, your uh, education level there. Now, uh, uh, kind of advancing a little bit now, uh, when and how did you become interested in law enforcement and subsequently OSI to make that tra- transition from, you know, uh, meteorology to, uh, you know, law enforcement and such? Yeah, so my uncle was a an FBI agent when I was growing up. And, you know, I remember him actually going through the academy um, and then just hearing about his job. So I think that's kind of what first piqued my interest. I, I'd known through him that typically to join the FBI, you had to have had some work experience or maybe a master's degree. Um, So I just, I thought that maybe the air force or the military, I had grown up a little bit overseas with my dad because he was with the army Corps engineers. Right. Um, Right. I just figured, you know, that might be a good way to get some experience. And so I didn't know about OSI when I joined ROTC, but it was once again, maybe I'm a sucker for kind of career field fairs, <laughs> but um, they had, a you know, kind of a career night at ROTC and there was an OSI agent there. And that's when I first learned of what OSI was and kind of learned, you know, I mean, some people say kind of like the FBI of the Air Force. And once I learned more about it, then I decided I would um, put my application in. And I was very fortunate to to get the opportunity. 
Wow, outstanding. Now, uh, as far as your uh, the beginnings of your OSI career, uh, you mentioned uh, you went to the academy. Uh, what uh, transpired after that for you? Well, I, no, I didn't go to the academy. Oh, so you did? I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I went through ROTC at St. Louis University. I was oh, saying oh, my, okay. my uncle went to the FBI academy. Gotcha. Okay, very good. Now that I've gotten that straight, okay, very good. Um, so obviously he was a very uh, influential person uh, in you uh, changing your uh, your vector, if you will, as far as uh, uh, your career path. Now, uh, uh, were there any specific challenges uh, that you faced once you joined OSI? And uh, if there were, uh, how did you overcome them? Yeah, I mean, I think with with probably every every OSI career, just maybe every career, right? There is there are challenges that you face, and depending on what phase you are in your career, um, the the challenges change, right? I think when you first start OSI, you're just trying to learn the job, you know, and trying to as an officer, where do you fit in? Um, and so, but I think I think you kind of overcome those by perseverance, right? You know, you just do the best that you can where you're planted, and 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 just push through and, and, and you come out on the other side, if you, if you do it well, right. Like if you put right. the work in, so. Right. Exactly. Now, uh, uh, again, I mentioned that you're uh, an individual mobilization augmentee or IMA for short, uh, as they say in the, uh, the acronym world. Um, uh, as far as uh, the challenge of when you're not a reservist, uh, uh, with OSI as you are, uh, and, and you, uh, you put on your, uh, attorney's hat. Uh, you mentioned, uh, off mic that it was really a, a major balancing act. And I've talked to a couple of other IMAs, uh, here on the podcast, and they mentioned that that's really what it, what it, uh, involves in that, you know, balancing your time, uh, as well as your efforts. So, uh, uh, how do you, uh, get around having to like wearing two hats, uh, almost at one time? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely kind of a learning curve. I I was very fortunate that when I was active duty, I was the detachment commander, and I and this was before the IMAs were kind of put in the hub, so we actually had IMAs assigned to the detachment. So I got to have that experience of kind of managing IMAs uh-huh. and learning more about the program. So I think that really helped me in my transition to kind of know, okay, what what do you have to do to kind of maintain your IMA career? And then now on the flip side, on the civilian side, um, it's more kind of sometimes educating my civilian because I'm not with the government is my civilian employer. You know, what are my requirements? What does it mean to be an IMA? It's a little bit different than a traditional reservist, the one week in a month, two weeks a year. Mm -hmm. Um, And they've been very supportive, but sometimes it just takes me, you know, educating them on what I need for the, for them to support me. Um, and so I, you know, for me, I've been with the Air Force a lot longer than I have been an attorney. And so um, it's really important to me to maintain my Air Force career and hopefully retire from the reserves. So I try to make it a priority um, and balancing it out. But it, it is, you know, I'm, I'm learning as I go through, right? You know, schedule wise, when can I take time to do my Air Force reserve time? Right. And then is there anything big coming up on the civilian side that I need to make sure I'm there for? Right. Obviously, uh, what you just said, uh, I guess, rings true for uh, pretty much all the IMAs. Uh, getting that support system, both on the military side as well as on the civilian side, uh, makes your job uh, perhaps uh, maybe you know, not very, not really easy per se, but it, uh, it makes it very much worthwhile to know that you have both uh, uh, areas that are behind you. That's true. Yes, I agree. Now, uh, uh, 
obviously you've uh, you've done uh, very well as an as an attorney, and I mention that because uh, in a recent um, uh, in, uh, uh, online article uh, uh, in Law Week uh, Colorado's website, uh, it was entitled "Up and Coming Lawyers of 2021: Michelle Keist Nachtrop." Uh, that must give you a lot of satisfaction, knowing that. Uh, uh, you have uh, people within your civilian community that uh, think of you that highly, uh, even though you said uh, uh, you haven't, uh, you know, uh, been a lawyer all that long. Uh, you must have made uh, quite an impression on your uh, your contemporaries. Yeah, no, I was I was very honored. Um, it's kind of one of the things that the um, partners nominate you for. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it is very humbling to kind of see that, you know, I'm doing well in my second career, right? And, you know, because I'm a little bit older and making the career switch. So it's, uh, you know, I am proud of the fact that it, it seems to be working out, so... Outstanding. Uh, yeah, I would imagine, uh, you know, juggling uh, more than one thing is, is difficult uh, for, for any of us. But uh, for two uh, careers like that, uh, it must be pretty daunting. But you've certainly uh, done very well in that. Uh, now, moving along with my next question, uh, who or what inspires you to do your best in OSI, uh, you know, in your uh, job as the uh, IMA uh, at uh, uh, DET 331? Yeah, I would say um, kind of throughout, you know, my OSI career, and then even in my civilian career, right, you come into contact with leaders, right, or mentors. And, you know, you always kind of, and then sometimes you come, you come across maybe leaders who maybe are not as good as some of the others that you don't like actually relate to, but right. with everyone you meet, you kind of take something from them, right? You find mm-hmm. something and you say, okay, I really wish I could emulate this person and do what they're doing. Or maybe, Hey, you know, something happened and maybe I won't, uh, whenever I'm in that position, I won't do it. Right. And so it's these people that you meet, these leaders that you kind of inspire to be. Um, and, 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 and I think because you want to kind of earn their respect or you see the respect that they have and you kind of want to be in that same position, I think that motivates you, right? You want to make sure that you're doing the best that you can mm-hmm. so that when you're in that position, you have somebody's respect, whether it's be the personnel of the detachment um, or even those who are above you. You know, you want right. to make sure you're doing a good job. Is it safe to say, Michelle, that uh, you mentioned earlier on in this uh, answer that uh, uh, you take something away from almost everybody that you come in contact with? So is it safe to say you kind of have to be like a sponge, uh, no matter whether you're in OSI or in your civilian sector? Oh, for sure. I think, I think definitely there is, you know, you should definitely be a sponge and absorb as much as you can. And I think along with that goes kind of like they, you know, they say like grow where you're planted. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you also have to have the confidence and ability to, to know when it's your turn to speak up. Right. And to, and oh, yeah. to no longer be a sponge, but actually be the person talking. So, yeah. 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 As you, as you gain experience, uh, there's no doubt about that, that uh, you can impart your uh, words of wisdom uh, to those who uh, follow you. No doubt about that. Now, uh, before I ask my next question, I'm going to I'm going to uh, uh, read a quote that you had um, back in uh, uh, 2015, 2016, that time frame. And you said, uh, my experience with Air Force OSI has allowed me to be part of something bigger than myself work with fantastic people, and learn about a wide variety of things. When I made the tough decision to leave active duty a few years ago to attend law school, I fought hard to stay with OSI as a reservist, and I'm glad I did. I appreciate being able to continue to serve in the Air Force Reserve, and I always look forward to the time I get to spend with OSI. 
I value the opportunity to still feel like I'm part of the OSI family. Now, that was taken from the uh, uh, Global uh, Reliance Magazine uh, Awards Edition uh, from the fall of 2016 when you were awarded the uh, Command Award for the officer in the IMA category. So, uh, obviously, the folks within OSI uh, leadership uh, on down think very highly of uh, the work you've been doing as an IMA. Uh, is it safe to say that that might be the most gratifying part of your job with the command? I mean, I, I, so it's, it's interesting to hear those words kind of like said back to me, right? Because that was a while ago. <laughs> but I mean, I think it all very much rings true still today. I mean, I think for me, you know, I, you know, a lot of times, sometimes being in the being a lawyer and being an IMA doesn't, or just a reservist doesn't always, it doesn't work out for everyone um, right. because of the timing. But for me, it's very important to kind of go back to my roots and go back to OSI. And I appreciate the time I get to spend with people and kind of like tell people my experience. You know, sometimes I say I enjoy going and telling kind of my war stories. Right. And, right. and it's really the people and the camaraderie um, and that family, that OSI family that I really do appreciate being able to still be a part of. Right, right. Uh, now, obviously, hindsight's always twenty twenty, Michelle, but if you could do it all over again, is there anything you would change about your OSI career or your law career? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. I, you know, I, I you know, I, I feel very fortunate and lucky, and I think everything's worked out. I mean, kind of what I said back in 2015, it was a very, very hard decision for me. And it's a risky decision, right? Because you never know whether that second career is actually going to take off or not. Um, so far, it's worked out for me. I would say the only thing when I look back, you know, on an OSI career, my OSI career, it's always about timing, right? I always right, kind of wanted right. to go to AFID and, you know, learn a language, but it was just timing didn't work out for me. I mean, that, that would be the only thing is that maybe I would try harder or push harder for that. But I really have, you know, it's all worked out for a reason. That's yeah, how I yeah. kind of look at it. So absolutely no regrets. No regrets. No. Outstanding. Uh, looking ahead a little bit, uh, kind of putting on your uh, uh, forecasting hat, if you would. What direction do you envision OSI going into the future, uh, you know, from your perspective as uh, an IMA reservist? Yeah, I mean, I... I you know, I think it's interesting because I've seen, you know, OSI evolve over the years. And I think, you know, we were kind of really known on the outside world about our deployed mission, right, which is kind of wind down and has changed. I've been really impressed with OSI for me as a reservist who comes in, and, you know, reads my email and kind of sees what the command is doing, not on a daily basis, but, you know, every other week or something like that. I right, think right. For me, like, I've been so impressed um, with some of the, the initiatives that has that has occurred in the last couple of years, maybe with like Chief Burnflit and her kind of fireside chats, um, mm -hmm. just the communication and the camaraderie, I feel has gotten so much better. Um, and maybe the pandemic maybe forced us a little bit, right? But I mean, sure, I think sure. just the communication from the top down. I think when you are an agent in a detachment and you are starting to see the bigger picture and understand and feel like there's someone out there looking out for you, mm -hmm. I think that motivates you to give more to an organization. And I've just been really impressed with how much that has kind of grown in OSI. And so I, I hope it continues to grow, right? I hope we continue yeah. to keep that communication going. Uh 
the purpose of this particular podcast, uh, my OSI journey, is again to uh, talk about the diversity and inclusion that uh, uh, is uh, uh, that permeates throughout the uh, the command. From a DNI perspective, how foundational is diversity and inclusion to the success of OSI, in your view? Yeah, I mean, I think diversity and inclusion is is key to success to like any organization, right? Um, but I, I think that that's another area where OSI and the Air Force has grown. Um, I think about my career, right? When I came in, you know, I had the don't ask, don't tell training, right? Going from that to attending my first on-base pride event in 2013, right? I think that, you know, we talk about it now a lot more than we ever did before. Um, and I think we're starting to see you know, some of the benefits of having that conversation. I think we're starting to see my more diverse individuals in leadership positions. And I think that, you know, I think the research has shown that if your organization, the more diverse it is, and if you um, actually like support that diversity, it just makes you stronger because it just brings so many different perspectives and it kind of gets away from group think and you can start to like creatively solve problems. So uh-huh. I think it's fundamental to OSI and in any organization. Right. Well said. Well said. Uh, now, uh, let's one more hat I will ask you to put on besides your lawyer hat and your uh, OSI reservist hat. Uh, as far as uh, if you're a recruiter uh, and for somebody uh, new to OSI, maybe listening to their first podcast uh, uh, and, and hearing your story, what advice would you give someone who would like to join OSI? Yeah. So I guess I have a couple of pieces of advice. I mean, I think OSI is a career that kind of like I said back in 2015, right? If if you want to be part of something that's bigger than yourself, mm-hmm. if you want to continuously learn about things that maybe you didn't know about, or maybe things that other people don't know about, I mean, I think OSI is a very rewarding career. Um, I would tell, you know, some of the young airmen out there, you know, you know, do the best of whatever job you're at in currently, and then also, you know, stay out of trouble. Right. <laughs> you know, that's that's a, that's a big one. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, and have integrity as throughout your career. And then, you know, I had a major when I was in ROTC who kind of gave me one of the better pieces of advice that I've kind of taken with me. And he said, "Make them tell you no." Right. So mm-hmm. keep trying. Right. I mean, if this is something you want to do, you know. I'll, and, and it doesn't have to just be OSI, but anything, make them tell you no, reach for it. That, that's an interesting uh, perspective, uh, be, uh, telling, having them say no to you, because I think it ties into what you said before. Uh, you know, when you had the perseverance uh, to want to do what you've been doing, uh, you, you didn't let uh, someone who said no maybe stand in your way. Exactly. Right. I mean, th- that's the worst thing that can happen. But if you never ask, then you'll never know. Yep, exactly. Very well said. Now, uh, before we wrap it up, Major, is there uh, anything else you'd like to add? Uh, I don't really have anything else, but I definitely appreciate the time. I mean, it's it's been fun chatting with you, and I'm, I'm glad to, I had the opportunity to tell my OSI story. Very good. Our guest has been Special Agent Major Michelle Keist-Noctrop, the Individual Mobilization Augmentee to the Commander, OSI Detachment 331, Joint Base Andrews, Maryland. Michelle, thanks again for taking the time to be with us. It was great to talk to you. Thank you. It was great talking to you, too. And thanks to all of you listening for tuning in. For OSI Today, my OSI journey, I am Wayne Amon saying so long for now.